0: I can't believe it, but thus begins Lent. Here we are. We cross over a threshold today. Ash Wednesday is this door that I think of as opening towards the, the heart of God. Um, the best description I've ever come across for Lent, uh, I just kind of stole or borrowed from our brothers in the Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters in the Eastern Orthodox tradition. They describe Lent as a bright sadness. So a bright sadness. I want to talk about those two things. So it is sad. Because there are things that grieve the heart of God. I mean, just looking around at the world at any given moment. Um, the brokenness, the violence, the harm. We live in a landscape uh, east of Eden, is said. We live in a place that's scarred by sin. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorites, very quotable, uh, has this to say. The doctrine of original sin is probably the only part of Christian theology that can really be proved. Okay? So... We see that out in the world. We see um, the sadness of a broken world. But we don't always have to look outside. like We don't always have to look out at at those people, right, to find where sin marks our lives. We have a reason to grieve, too. We have our own sin that we contend with. We're part of that problem. We're part of this picture that we see. You guys might remember the quote from Walt Kelly, We've met the enemy and he is us or she is us, right? So in a contemplative season like Lent, where we reflect on the wages of sin very intentionally, we can't avoid the sadness. To do so would be sort of to deny reality. And God calls us to be, I believe, calls Christians to be fierce realists. Uh, Gregory of Nyssa says this, It is impossible for one to live without tears who considers things exactly as they are. It's impossible to live without tears who considers things exactly as they are. There's a reason sometimes for abject sadness. There's a reason sometimes to mourn. There's a reason sometimes for a holy grief. However, or and, Lent isn't all sadness, right? It's not all gloom and doom. It's not all dourness. We don't devolve into uh, despair and hopelessness. That forgets the first part. It's a bright sadness. It's a bright sadness. Repentance, the way the Lord sets it up, it's always into redemption. It's always restorative. Always. Brokenness does not have the final word. We repent. God meets us in that. We receive forgiveness. So even though our hope begins in ashes, ashes, excuse me, Lent has a really hopeful trajectory because it's aiming at Easter. That's what's our bright horizon. So there's great cause to enter Lent, I think, with anticipation, with expectation, actually not to be dour and and sort of self-loathing and self-flagellating. I think it's a fair question to enter into Lent, just saying, you know, what might God do during this time? I wonder, what might God do? What might he do? And the cool thing that I already sense in our body from having some discussions with some of you is there's already sort of an energy around Lent. There's like an eagerness um, to encounter the Lord and to do this together. So I, I take that as a great encouragement. I think that's a wonderful sign to expect that God's going to do something and to be ready for Lent. So, it's sad and it's bright, it's both. Now, you probably know this, Lent is sort of the penitential season right in the life of the church. Advent's many Lent, but this is, this is the big dog. Um, as Advent is gonna prepare us to meet Christ in Christmas, preparing us, Lent prepares us to embrace the resurrection of Jesus. They're both preparatory, excuse me, seasons. And in Lent, the manner of our preparation is repentance. I've already said that. And this just simply means turning around. You know, you're going one direction, it means you do a 180. And the point being, you're facing you're going back towards the Lord, returning to him. So it's a call to a deeper surrender. It's a call to yield sinful practices that maybe we've adopted into our lives as God reveals them to us. So here's kind of the picture. I can give you a picture of this. you're seeking to empty your hands, right? you got this stuff you're carrying around, so it's just not good for you, right? And you're, seeking, you know, you're trying to let go of sin, you're letting go of idolatry, whatever you wanna put, things that you cling to, um, some things might be killing us, right, slowly, you're letting go of those sins, you're emptying your hands, and the whole point is so God can then fill them with good things, with gifts, with seed to sow, with communion with him. So this is a really wise Lenten practice. You don't just give up something, you take on something, you replace it with something good. So if you don't think of it in a really uh, sort of mundane way, you give up a bad habit and you take on a good one. So that's a good uh, Lenten practice. Uh, Lent leads us to sacrifice, surrender that I mentioned earlier, that that giving up, taking on things of service. Um, It's a prayerful thing. It's an intentional thing. It's a chosen thing to sacrifice and try to do that for the right reasons so we're trying to set aside and mark out space for god to speak and move and act so lent can be intense if you've been through lent before you've maybe had some intense experiences it can be intense and it's intense for this reason you're giving god uh, you're kind of saying yes to god it's like saying lord i'm okay with you sifting me not that's a bold prayer that's a bold prayer but god seems to Hollow us out inside to make more room for himself, if you want to think of it that way. Spiritual house cleaning. Uh, That's one way to think of Lent. It is a spiritual house cleaning. So what I'm going to do, that's a little bit about Lent. I want to focus or reflect a little bit on the Isaiah passage for us, uh, 58.1 through 12, just briefly. Um, For some, maybe most of us, the way we think of Lent is kind of as an individual affair. What am I giving up for Lent? What are you giving up for Lent? Um, what does repentance look like for me? What does it look like for you, the individual? See what I'm saying? Um, what might God be doing in, in my life? What might God be doing in, in your life? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's certainly a personal aspect to entering into Lent um, and asking, examining yourself and, and asking God to, to do that. There's, there's some, that's very good practice. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think there is a communal call to repentance, which is actually woven throughout the scriptures. Uh, It was in Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. I hope you heard it. Uh, The Lord is calling his people Israel or the church universal, or if you want to personalize it, king of kings, to return to him, to repent and to do that together. I don't know about you, but I don't always think of repentance in in that fashion. But... In this passage, corporate guilt requires some communal repentance, some communal response for us, not just me, not just you, for us to return to God with our whole hearts. I hope you heard that communal call in uh, Isaiah 58. I'll read from a little bit of it in a moment. It's very challenging, I think. It doesn't allow us to remain uh, inward during Lent, to repent privately, uh, to stay in the self contained bubble of our individual lives, which is where we live a lot of the time, quite the opposite god 's call is a communal call to engage him and to engage each other as we do this. So in this passage, uh, what is God asking of them what 's he asking them to repent of? Uh, Israel has fasted, they perform their duty to the lord that 's kind of the picture, and listen to this key word: They seem eager to know god 's ways. they seem eager. God to come near them they say literally we fasted Lord but you haven't drawn near us they seem to follow God but as we read through the passage they're not the key word there is seem (laughs) they seem to so the Lord issues a rebuke and he says essentially guys even on day one of your fast you're selfish you exploit others you quarrel you do violence on, oh, on, I mean, just there's kind of a laundry list. His whole point there is Israel, you're going through the motions. You seem to follow me, but upon closer inspection, you really don't. So it's that whole appearance and reality thing. Two different things that are happening there. Our actions, those sacrifices we do, or we don't make on behalf of others, um, serve to confirm what's in here, right? Um, behavior is simply the outward manifestation of the inner man or, or the inner woman matthew 6 twenty one for where your treasure is, what is there also your heart, your heart so god's rebuke uh, is pretty strong here israel you're, you're, you're flat out failing and he calls them on the carpet, and he wants them to know what a true fast looks like okay here's the fruit of a true fast. Let me tell you if you're really following me what that will look like. this is verses six and seven i'll just kind of Give it a once over. If you fight injustice, if you help those who are oppressed, if you feed the hungry, if you clothe the naked, provide shelter to those who have none. Notice a consistent theme there. It's all very consistent. Israel, don't say you love me, but neglect your neighbor. Don't do it. Don't do it. Love of God and love of neighbor. You guys are probably so tired of me saying this. They're intimately tied together. They just are. It's the great commandment. They're tied together. Israel's repentance was to take the form of service to others. That was to be the fruit of it. Seek the justice of the oppressed. Minister to the least of ease. Very practical. Go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Go do that. That's the mark of change. That's the fruit of a true fast. Now, the Lord offers us a further picture of what a redeemed and healthy community might look like in action. And I'm going to read that. This is verses 8 through 12. So let me just read this to you again. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourselves out for the hungry, satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And so on and so forth. And the Lord Lord will... Uh, guide you continually satisfy your desire in scorched places make your bones strong you shall be like a watered garden i mean these images are so powerful like a spring of water water does not fail and then it goes on to talk about being the repair of broken walls here's what god's after love this here's what we're aiming at in lent here's a picture of repentance what it looks like isaiah 58 8 through 12 this is a people who's returning to god hearts soft to him Uh, observe how the Lord responds, this is what I love look at how the Lord responds and meets us in our repentance, these verses can't you hear his eagerness the Lord is eager to meet us he's rooting for us, cheering for us in our return and as an aside uh, in the history of the church repentance, guess what, it almost always precedes revival all these great movements of the church, repentance prayer, fasting, it is almost always part of that whether you're talking about azusa street or the great awakening sometimes i think sort of this urgent and hysterical call for revival wouldn't be so necessary if we kept up on this spiritual house cleaning on a regular basis i.e repentance as a way of life that's why i love that we focus on it once a year at least right that's why we practice it every week in our liturgy right repentance and forgiveness So in closing, uh, given the Lord's call to us, it's intentionally said, what does a good Lent look like? Like what might a good Lent look like for us, for our church? Uh, Let me just kind of suggest three different things. Uh, First part, I've already said uh, that we journey through Lent together as a community. Really, really important that we don't just do our individual things, that we do be intentional by journeying through this together. We're a body of Jesus. We're a household of God. We're a kingdom of priests. Our life is our own. We belong to each other. I and mean, you guys know all this stuff, right? All that. So how can you, how can I invite others into our Lenten journeys? How can we do that together? Um, this probably doesn't apply to most of you guys, but you know, maybe it means for some of you, you join a pastor. You put some skin in the game. You step in that way. Yes, that's an official plug. Yes, Uh, some of you might decide to take on some of the Lenten disciplines, which I'll talk about in a second and do that together to hold certain practices in common. Like, okay, maybe we'll fast on the same day. Our little group of our pastorate or our study group or this pod within the church. Let's 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 fast on a certain day. um, That puts you in conversation with each other. You talk about what God is revealing to you in this season, uh, what Lenten resources that work for you. I mean, it's just it can be something that's very communal. So. Journey through it together. That's the first thing I think that God would have us do. Journey through it together as a community. Second piece, um, and this one I think is, is hard. I don't have the answer to this one. I just think it, I need to put it out there. Uh, be willing to ask difficult questions. And the one I have in mind is, and this is one I kind of wince, um, as a church community, do we have anything to repent of? That's a hard word. That's not an easy word, and that's not something that we can discern on our own. It's something we have to talk about and listen to the Lord. So it's a very uncomfortable question, but we're giving the Lord permission to sift our church and we're opening our hands to him. So the second piece, I think, is literally saying, Lord, as a church community, are there areas of repentance for us? So that's the second piece. Third piece, uh, some of you who are more practically minded will be glad about this. So this is for you. Use some of the Lenten tools that are at your disposal. What do I mean by that? Let me break that down sort of an A and a B. Um, Three Lenten disciplines. You heard it in the liturgy. Prayers, fasting, and almsgiving. Um, Take on those disciplines during this time. Practice those. Um, It's a time to up your game, to become more disciplined. Maybe start a new, new discipline. Maybe some of you haven't fasted before. Maybe you try fasting. Um, this can look a number of different ways. For prayer, maybe you're someone who doesn't normally, uh, you sort of pray throughout the day. Maybe this is committing to, on top of that, committing yourself to, you know what? Every day at noon, what have you, for 15 minutes, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to pray for these things. And committing yourself to just being more disciplined about it. If you're fasting, that can be food, okay? Maybe you fast a certain day of the week. Um, some of you may not be able to do that because of health concerns. You can fast from social media. That's a good fast. <laughs> you can fast from screen time. Right, Lord knows I could use that. Uh, there are many things that you can fast from. And again, you can do it as a group. Almsgiving. Uh, you can become more generous. Uh, this isn't, well, maybe I'll just cut into my tie a little bit and kind of sideline a little over here. It's, going, it's saying going above what you normally do. Okay? So there are all these different ways to explore the three Lenten disciplines of prayer, fasting, almsgiving. So that's A. B, practical help, is um, we're going to pray the litany of penance in a moment. I would encourage you to hang on to your bulletin and to read and reread the litany throughout Lent. And as I read through it and reread through it, the Lord often just reveals some things that I need to take leave of. So it's a good tool. So those are some tools you can do. Prayer, fasting, Uh, almsgiving, and the litany of penitence. Those are some things. And actually, if you keep your eyes out for happenings this week, there'll be a hyperlink to a bunch of other resources that you can do. So if you're readers, there's great books to read. So um, those are some practical things, okay? So first thing, let's do Lent together as a community. Second thing, let's be bold and humble and ask the Lord, are there things our church needs to repent of as a community? And three, use those Lent tools, right? Use those disciplines of... Prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and litany of penitence. Now, I don't know about you. I don't always enter into Lent knowing what needs to go. fact is it's unusual for me that I do. Usually it is a process uh, where God reveals what needs to be given up, what needs to be let go, the surrender. It's just sometimes the Lord reveals that um, over time. So I would invite you, if you don't know where the Lord's leading you, just consider it prayerfully. Lord, what needs to go? What, what do you want me to empty out of my hands? And, and what do you want to put in my hands? So give God, there's something to giving the Lord permission to sift you during the season. Invite him into the messy parts of your heart. Allow him to do his work and, and to heal and to sift because repentance is healing. It is so healing. It is freeing for us. It's good for us. And above all, during this season, do not forget God's heart towards you not forget god's heart towards you uh lent um, has very sobering words liturgically and it's a sobering season Um, but let's not forget god's heart we can be tempted sometimes to think that god dislikes us maybe he just tolerates us Uh, maybe he seeks to punish us we think or some of us think maybe he just doesn't care i don't know Uh, Remember, as Romans 2, 4 tells us, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That is what beckons us to return home to him.